Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a top-tier commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme, and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I do personal PR for business leaders and entrepreneurs. I also run a PR training firm called Nine Media. If you like this podcast, please do tell your colleagues, share on social and rate it. That's how others find it. Welcome to episode two of the Media Insider. Very exciting. So my guest this week to share his inside media tips is Johnny Ensel, editor of EasyJet Traveller magazine. Johnny started his career at The List, which is a Scottish magazine. Then he was music and nightlife editor of Time Out. Then he was deputy editor of Time Out. Then he had a stint being freelance. And now he's been editing the publication that we're going to talk about today, EasyJet Traveller, for the last two years. So thanks for joining me, Johnny. Now, one thing which you do as an editor, which I'd like to open that conversation on, is that you send out an email to your network of freelance journalists telling them what the themes of the issue that you're commissioning for are going to be. Now, I know this because as a former journalist, I'm still on that list. And I always think, what a great idea. No other editor that I've worked with or written for has ever done that so is that something that you've always done i i haven't necessarily found that people editors i've worked with in the past have done that i started doing it purely out of necessity um i i needed stories i needed better stories than the stories i was getting and we do issues on themes and we also do a lot of seasonal issues as well so we're thinking it's summertime we need certain sorts of stories and I just found that it was a good way to kind of get all those ideas together. It has its pros and cons. The The pro is that you do get a much higher quality of pitches and they're much more targeted. The con is you get a lot of pitches, so you have a lot of information to sift through. And you have to be kind of nice to the journalists who respond and, you know, make sure that you do take all their ideas into consideration. But I think it's just, it's, it, it's the sort of thing that you probably should do as an editor is to cast the net as as wide as possible to, to get the best possible ideas for your title. I think a lot of editors are scared of doing that because they think they're going to get deluged with response. Because it used to be, we used to have this thing called the forward features plan and no one seems, that seems to be an outdated concept. Yeah, and um, I think, you know, editors, for for obvious reasons, they have writers that they like and trust and they will listen to the ideas that those writers present and 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 that works um and the risk is if you take a chance on somebody who you don't know then you will have to end up rewriting their work or yes you will get deluged with ideas um i think having been a freelancer myself really what freelancers appreciate is honesty um and and probably like a speedy response so my what I try to do is to just go back and as politely as possible just be super honest about the idea and often that is to say this is interesting but we've done something similar or this is interesting but it doesn't have a strong enough hook or something of that nature. So talk me through the rough formula of the magazine because it is a very thick magazine. Uh, I know your July issue was your biggest yet right I remember seeing that on, on yeah, Twitter. Yes so, so it has a it has a long history decades long and this is 
a 220-page issue and the biggest that we've ever done. Wow. So I've been flicking through it. So it seems to me that you've got the structure of, you've got the briefing, mm-hmm. which is sort of newsy stories. Then you've got a section called the stories, then the edit, then something called the business, the knowledge. And to an outsider, I have to say, you know, if you don't know much about the media, they all seem pretty, not similar, but it's hard to, to draw a pattern as to what type of format of story might go in what section. So could you just talk us through a rough top line idea of what fits in each of those sections? Sure. So it's not dissimilar to, to most other magazines that you will read. There's a front book that we call The Briefing, and it's news. Um, and specifically, we do a kind of quirky news that's more oriented to things that you can actually go and do. So things we love are if there's a big new museum opening or an art exhibition or a kind of interesting food tour or something like that. Anything with a twist, we're really into that. And all of that stuff goes into the briefing. Then we have the stories, which is our features section. These are um, things that are happening that are a little bit more interesting or have a bit more depth to them. So it can still be an experience, a new experience, but it has to be an experience that has enough about it that you would be willing to read somebody talking about it for a thousand words. We also do some more typical travel stories, I suppose, uh, which are destination-focused. And we do what I tend to call packages, which is a big list of stuff that you might find useful as a traveller. And that could be anything from great public artworks to um, city breaks for autumn, things like that. The edit, towards the back of the magazine, it gets a bit more granular. um, So it probably becomes a little bit bit less writerly and a bit more informative which again is what a lot of magazines do if you were a film or a music magazine you'd probably find the reviews at this point uh, and we do something similar so you get hotel and restaurant reviews as well as some shopping content and then finally and this is probably quite unique to us we have a quite a big section called the knowledge which yeah. is destination guides um, and one of the things people quite like about the magazine is the same thing that they like about going on holiday, which is that they're learning about some place that they're excited to go to that maybe they don't know a lot about. So that section is a whole load of lists of cool stuff in different places. And it's all tied together with a map of all the destinations that we fly to. So that is something that is kind of unique to us, really. You don't, you probably don't see that in, um, in other magazines necessarily. And what about the business? The business, sorry, I missed that out. EasyJet has a lot of business travellers. Um, often people are quite surprised by the, the kind of makeup of the EasyJet passengers. A lot of business people travel, and so we try to have a section that deals with ideas, technology, right. and it can be anything from um, interesting kind of entrepreneurial schemes in Sweden to a, a headset that's designed to make you cleverer to a new design for a, um, a water bottle that's not made of plastic. So it's not it's not business content in the kind of financial time sense yeah. it's it's really you know if, if you are working day to day with ideas and trying to grow to grow an idea then this might give you some stimulation yeah, yeah. and how do you decide what f- format you put this in so that's the themes what you've gone through which is really useful but in terms of 
format of a story like a Q&A or a feature or uh, an opinion piece. It's all those different sections are made up of those different formats. So how do you decide that? And do you have a particular formula? We're going to have so many interviews, so many reportage pieces. Is there a formula for that? Yeah. Again, like most magazines, we have a mixture of what you'd call formats and just straightforward stories or features. So a format would be something like a Q&A. Uh, and we have one Q&A in the front of the magazine every issue. And that always looks the same. It's with an interesting person, but a similar sort of person, so a celebrity. And it, it kind of flows in the same way. Then we have features which are more open-ended. So a feature can really be on anything. It's often a longer prose piece, over a thousand words. So you have these set formats which recur in every issue and if you put two issues side by side you'd see exactly what those are and then you have these other kind of empty slots which can be anything now sometimes those are formats and so as an editor you talk about treating the feature what's the treatment for the feature and the treatment really just means the packaging so if you want to tell everybody about the best wellness breaks in europe are you just going to write a list of wellness breaks or is there a more interesting way to package that? Is it better to do an A to Z of wellness breaks? Is it better to do um, wellness teachers talk about their favourite wellness break? And then you start to decide what is the best treatment and then that brings about a format. Right, that is so helpful and that is the sort of stuff that PRs don't really understand and even a lot of freelance journalists don't understand that. Yes, and I think you as an editor you are forced to confront the realities of what readers are like. And readers are kind of flippant and fickle, and they're not going to dive into whatever content you serve them. And you have to make it attention-grabbing, because if it comes out in print and you see it, and it looks dull, then that's on you. Yeah. And so editors have to do that hard work of thinking well how am I going to package this to make it interesting now sometimes the editor doesn't need to be pitched the treatment they just need to be pitched the content so to use the wellness breaks example you can tell me about a wellness break you don't have to tell me how to package that but I will know that I'm thinking of doing a package and that will fit into it and if you have a sensational idea for a treatment then sure, why not send that as well? Right, so that was going to be one of the things I asked you. Is it annoying when PRs or freelance journalists pitch in and say, they have the idea, but then they also have an idea of how you would run it, and they say something like, would this work as a top 10 tips on curing your jet lag or whatever? Is that a bit annoying when they suggest the treatment? It's not annoying, but it is usually not useful, is the answer. Um And that is partly because so many of the formats in the magazine, and again, this is true of most magazines, are already defined. So sometimes it is useful to say, this is this story applicable to this format. And there was an example recently where we do a format called Citizen's Advice, and that's somebody in a city just talking about why they love it, how long they've lived there, what you need to know that the tourist guides won't tell you. And somebody said, I work for uh, this bingo company in Liverpool and it's a kind of hipster bingo night and we've got a 91-year-old woman who comes down 
every week and loves it. Would you be interested in her for this slot? And I was like, yeah, that's fantastic. And we set it all up. It worked a treat. And that's a kind of rare example of where somebody pitches the perfect idea for the slot. But they were able to do that because they had a very strong understanding of the different regular formats. Uh, So that can be useful. If you were to, to pitch a story that would fall within a format that doesn't recur in the magazine, so you're kind of trying to invent a format that we might then want to run, that almost never works. Yeah. There's just one example I can think of where it really did work, and that is I did a story about whiskey in Israel. And so somebody who was PRing a whiskey distillery in Tel Aviv had suggested to me that I come and do a whiskey tour of Israel and that I would go to these three or four different whiskey distilleries around the country, including the one that she was PRing, and I would write about that trend because they were making these single malt whiskies. Single malt has to be kept in a barrel for three years, and they were just maturing. And that was perfect. And not only did she pitch the idea, but she also set it up, sorted my accommodation, sorted the other wow. interviews. Yeah. So was allowing, was helping me gain access to other similar businesses and it was a dream that's I think to be brutally honest like often the level of effort that you need to go to in order to not just pitch your product but pitch the story so not being afraid of coverage for the competition kind of yeah that was the key in in that example anyway again it's only if you've got that kind of sensational oh my god this would work perfectly idea that it's probably worth going that extra mile. So from a PR perspective, how much do you use PR content or PR pitches? Very rarely is the answer. So in in the travel world that I work in, you get different sorts of regular pitches. So one is, hello, would you like to come on a press trip to see our destination? Yeah. And the answer to that is always no. Because you don't want to be in a press trip because then everybody has exactly the same content. Yes, yeah. And also when we very rarely do stories where it's like, oh, have you considered that Prague is an interesting city? You know, our stories are always like there is a guy in Prague who has been hand-building accordions for the last 50 years. Yeah, and also, you know, if you're going to go on a press trip, you're going to get given first-class treatment, aren't you? It's not going to be real. Yes, exactly, yeah. And, and, and readers can tell as well, you know, we try to deal in like slightly more authentic travel experiences and readers can tell if you've been schmoozed. Because I presume you must get inundated with travel pitches specifically. But I suppose for you, because you cover not just travel stories, but you just cover stories in the destinations that you travel to. So do you often find that there's a shortage of people pitching to you like normal stories rather than travel stories? Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, I haven't really thought of it like that. I think travel as a concept is changing a little bit. So maybe once upon a time you would think of travel and it would be like, oh, I'd love to go and ride some some camels in Egypt as part of a kind of two-week package holiday. And now it's not like that anymore. I think people have realised that they don't want to visit places as tourists They want to have an experience that is more akin to what the locals might do. And so they're not really interested in us discussing the sort of packages that they might have. And then they want to know more about the club night that all the locals go to that is really exciting. 
or the dish that is the most authentic dish where there's a queue outside because all the locals go to eat it. You don't get a lot of pictures like that from PR, certainly. Because they haven't got those as clients. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is is probably true, yeah. So in what way then can PRs actually pitch to you or how are your relationships with PRs and do you have those relationships that come to fruition with a story either by someone offering you a quote as part of a wider story or someone offering you a tip off on a trend you know if they can't do the straight travel pitches what sort of relationship can you have that would be helpful mutually helpful yeah I I think really the the few examples that I have of of that working are often to do with food because PRs will people love to travel to eat and PRs will have access to chefs and they'll make a suggestion so we we, we did one actually quite recently which was a food tour of Venice with a celebrity chef and that worked really well so that's one of the few occasions where that kind of works for us it's like we've got access to this great talent we're happy to send you to go and eat your way around Venice or whatever city it is would you like to do this? And, and often we do take them up on things like that. Um, otherwise, the best advice I can give is just a well-written press release, just the key information. Do you check those wire services, by the way, where press releases, or do you only read the ones that are sent to you directly? I don't tend to check the wire services. Very occasionally I'll have a little scout about, but I, I tend more to check the ones that are sent to me directly. The, the thing that I sometimes suggest that PRs think about which is the same thing that um, I ask freelance writers to think about when they're pitching, is what's the sell? So the sell or the stand first or the subheadline of a piece is, is just the bit where you tell somebody what's interesting about what they're going to read. And a good way of telling if you've got a good sell or not is putting, you'll never believe it, but in front of it. Oh, good yeah. tip. So if it's, you'll never believe it, but there's a new resort opening in Morocco. I'm like, okay, well, I can, I can actually believe that. Yeah, yeah. But you'll never believe it, but there's camel's milk ice cream at yeah. this new resort in Morocco. Yeah. So it's actually the camel's milk ice cream yes. that's the interesting yeah. bit. Yeah. And I think that when you are representing a company, it's hard to see that stuff. Because you know so much information and you think it's kind of minor and inconsequential yeah. that they serve camel's milk ice cream. Yeah. But that's actually the bit that the journalist is yeah. going to latch on to. Yeah. Interesting. So that brings us nicely onto my favourite bit of this podcast, which is where I ask about what are the, your pet hates or pet likes as well. We're not going to make it too negative of pitches. And this is both for, from freelance journalists or from PRs. Like, what are the classic no-nos? Well, I had a f- phone call from a guy just this week. Uh, he was trying to pitch me his company. I said, I, again, I always tried to be honest, and I was like, this wouldn't really work for us for this reason. And the reason in this case was that... Um, we tend to to cover destinations that are outside of the UK more than inside the UK or try to not disproportionately cover things inside the UK. And I told him this and he was like, yeah, but you're a UK-based company, so why not? (laughs) And I said, 
what have you read? What, why, why? I think I asked him, I was like, why do you think we wouldn't want to cover the UK? As an airline flying out of the UK, why do you think we would not want to cover the UK? And he was like, I don't know, that sounds, you know, that sounds like a teacher's question. And I was like, you need to read the magazine. Like, obviously, yeah. we're trying to encourage people to go on holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was slightly acrimonious. But um, I think the, 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 the kind of the bugbear there was that he just hadn't read the magazine. Yeah. You've got and to read the magazine. The magazine's available online. You could download it as a PDF yeah, online. You, can. you don't have to fly. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And what about from, um, you know, what about email pitches? Any classic, uh, memorable no-nos? I think the, the the thing that we get an awful lot of is, hi, I've just been on holiday to this place. Would you like a thousand words on it? And yeah. it's always like, well, no. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes also people will send us things that they've written. That doesn't really work either. So I would never, what, what are they called? They're called spec. On spec. On spec, yeah. We would never take anything like that. Well, you want to give your own editorial input. Into Pretty much, it, don't you? yeah. I don't, you know, I think all freelance, having, again, having been a freelancer myself, I think um, you're always putting yourself out there as a freelancer. And as long as you are earnest and polite and you've done your research and you're not wasting anyone's time, it's quite hard to go wrong, really. Yeah. And the same as a PR, really. They they have to have a go, don't they? They Absolutely. have to pitch. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So just before I let you get on with the rest of your day, because I know you're very busy as an editor, just talk me through roughly what what is the the monthly um schedule for planning the magazine. Is it like lots of monthly magazines where, you know, you have a features meeting a monthly features meaning you plan it all and then you build you bring in ideas from there how how does it work we do discuss ideas um it's not the biggest team so there's me there's a deputy editor there's an associate editor and there's a sub-editor purely on the on the magazine editorial side we have a digital editor as well so there's not so many of us we we kind of do it in a bit of a piecemeal way ideas come in and then when it's convenient, we'll kind of sit down and, and discuss them. Because there's a lot of travel involved, we tend to have to set things up pretty far in, va- in advance. So it's, it's rare that we will sit down and say, okay, what are we doing? We're going to do this, this and this, and then set everybody off traveling. It tends to work better if, as good ideas come in, we set people off doing that immediately and then the content is there and we can kind of pick and choose and piece the magazine together from that what I can say is that the lead time is is kind of surprisingly far in advance so for the biggest stories we're working at least about three months in advance so I'm chatting to you uh, at the end of July and we've already nailed down exactly what we're doing in, in the October issue for example okay so you're on Halloween <laughs> you're on, you're on uh, no deal Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, we don't. Yeah, we don't tend to talk about the B word too much in EasyJet Traveller. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's that's where we're working. News stories tend to come in or can come in a little bit later on. When is that um, the monthly meeting? Like roughly in the month, so what would be the best time to pitch to you to hit that forward planning? Yeah, I would say. Um, well, if it was the October issue we're talking about, so the issues come out on the 1st of the month, so for the issue out the 1st of October, 
pitching at the beginning of July would be a good idea. So really three months ahead, three full months ahead. Yeah. And beginning of the month is better because that's when you have, that's when you're deciding the content of yeah, that issue you're pretty working much, on. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. What I tend to do, which is probably a little bit annoying, but I can't, I can't find a better way of doing it, is I do, um, I look through all my pitches in a sweep. So if something comes in and it looks half interesting, I'll just put a little flag next to it. And then at the point that I'm starting to make decisions about what goes in the magazine, I, I look through all the flagged items and just deal with them one by one, which saves me a lot of time rather than having, having the distraction of dealing with things immediately. I suppose that suggests two things. And one is like, it's worth being patient. This is, this is probably advice for most editors who I imagine work in a similar way. It's worth being patient when you have pitched something, as in, if you haven't heard for like a couple of weeks, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It maybe just means that they haven't got to it yet. And the second thing is, don't worry about following up. Because when you have as many emails as I do, you don't even notice when you've had two or three follow-ups. Yeah. So it doesn't get annoying, you know. Yeah. That sounds familiar. And I'm not an editor, so and that still sounds familiar. Yeah. Now, one final thing I want to ask you. EasyJet Traveller isn't run by EasyJet. You don't work for them. You work for a company that produces the magazine. So would you call yourself branded journalism, which is this new and growing area of journalism? Well, branded journalism, rather. Yeah, yes and no. And we do... Um, have to ask this question every now and again because when you when you enter for awards for example there are there are categories of branded content and there are categories just for travel last year i was nominated for an award as a travel editor but i had the opportunity to enter as as branded content editor as well the way i see it is those lines are getting a bit more blurry these days and the model for a magazine like our magazine or for a lot of the in-flight magazines we produce is kind of unique. I think people think that EasyJet kind of commissions us to make a magazine for them, but that's not really the case. We make a magazine for EasyJet that we sell advertising into and EasyJet shares in the profits that we make from the magazine. So really EasyJet is kind of a distribution network the magazine absolutely reflects the brand values of easyjet and we work very closely with them to make sure that that is the case that it fits naturally within the easyjet brand however there are you know i can i can probably think of some similar kind of models where uh, magazines have found unique ways to distribute their product and this is kind of the same thing. And it's a phenomenal audience. It's one of the last captive audiences there is. Wow. So our readership um, varies depending on how many people are flying EasyJet that month. But it's in the millions. You know, over, uh, we think about over 6 million people read the magazine every month. And that's not just the number of people on EasyJet flights. That's the number of people who have flown EasyJet, who we think have also dived into the magazine. Yeah, how can you tell if they've read the magazine or not? Well, we ask, we do, we, we do occasional sort of surveys yeah. and we say, have you flown EasyJet recently? Did you look at the magazine? And we kind of work out from there. In, in terms of like the idea of branded content, I think also 
a lot of traditional publishing is just falling down. A lot of magazines are disappearing or are getting smaller. Very sad. Yeah. And those models do not really work anymore for a lot of people. The kind of newsstand model is suffering, obviously. Yeah. And also the kind of freemium mod- model yeah. that things like Shortlist was working on, uh, or, or NME, you know, those are suffering as well, obviously, because those magazines don't exist anymore. And where it is a supposedly independent title, you can kind of see them giving away a lot of that editorial as part of what you might call creative solutions projects. So instances where they've worked with brands to produce content and are running that content in their magazine. So they are moving more towards branded content. So weirdly, we do not have that same pressure to give away our editorial effectively so even though we are branded content we are not under the same kind of pressure to support our advertisers necessarily so i think in a way you and we also have budget to pay our journalists and photographers to go out and do good work which a lot of magazines don't so even though we are branded content i would suggest that we feel less branded than a lot of other magazines he would find out there. And maybe that is the few, maybe that is one model of journalism which is still working. I, I think so. And there are other examples of companies who are committed to producing good editorial products purely for the advantages of having a good editorial product associated with their brand. And there will be more and more companies like that in the future, I think. Yeah. Johnny Ensel, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for listening to The Media Insider, the podcast helping PRs, journalists and anyone who wants to raise their media profile. Please do share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're in PR and you need some skills training or you're a professional and you want to raise your own profile, then do drop me a line either on Twitter or through HelenCroydon.com. <laughs>